Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer and movie podcast based in Chico, California. This is episode 191, and my name is Max Minardi. There you go. My name's Johnny Summers. What's happening? We remembered what episode it was this time. I'm proud of us. <laughs> you like that 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 adjustment on the fly? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> as we started, I, I saw that in the notes, and I wasn't gonna change it. I was just gonna see what was gonna happen. Yeah, I guess I'm on. I'm I'm on it today. I suppose. Look at you. Look at you. Look uh, at us. Johnny Summers. Where can people find us on the internet? On the wide world of webs, you can find us at Instagram, Twitter, and Untapped at Fresh Hop Cinema. We're both on Letterboxd, respectively, at Max Benardi and at Johnny Summers. I've been doing pretty good keeping mine up to date. I know Max is better at it than me, but we're both we're both pretty good at it. Yeah. So if you want to follow along for movie reviews and what we're watching and stuff, you should check that out. A lot of times we watch stuff, and if it doesn't make it um, for the main episode or like as a flick pick, it still is documented that we watched it. And mm-hmm. so you can hit us up, and we'll let you know what we thought about it. Or if we didn't write a review, you should pressure us to because... Yep. We should write more reviews. So uh, follow us on Letterboxd. You can email us at fhccast at gmail.com. We had a bunch of emails this week for our bonus content submissions. So thank you guys for that. Uh, if you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, or just general input, uh, be sure and email us. It's fun. We like hearing from you guys. You can also find us at freshhopcinema.com and patreon.com slash freshhopcinema, which is the one of the ways we keep this show rolling. Uh, if you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a what would you call it? It's not crowdfunding. It's I mean, more it of kind a, of is. It's a it's you know it's 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 incremental crowdfunding where instead of giving us like fifty dollars to get our invention off the ground, you give us like a dollar for every episode, and then we kind of keep the show moving that way. Yeah, exactly. So that really helps. Uh, you can also rate, review, and subscribe. Pretty please on Apple Podcasts. That helps out. Everyone that wants to hear podcasts like ours, that helps them find us. So you should uh, do that and then tell people that we're amazing because, gosh darn it, people like us. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, people writing into us with emails for a bonus content thing. So I wanted to say, uh, in addition to agreeing with you, thank you for all the submissions. What we did was we we took a little bit of our Patreon bonus content that is usually just reserved for patrons, and we put it out to our Instagram um, and basically we, it was Johnny has these hypotheticals. If you've never heard our Patreon bonus content and this particular week was, um, correct me if I'm wrong, dude, but like if you could go anywhere in the world on vacation and take five, I believe we used the, for uh, the phrase actors, but I think we opened it up to celebrities. Where would you go? And, uh, who would the five be? And we put it out to people like, what are your, what are your five and where are you going? And, uh, the best one is going to win a free beer from one of our sellers, I guess the mm-hmm. podcast seller more or less. Um, and we narrowed it down to our top three favorites. And instead of deciding beforehand, we're going to read you guys all three and we're going to have a live quick discussion to decide the winner on the air. So I think that we don't name names until the winner is announced, but I will read the first list. I have them down at the bottom of the notes there, sir. Um, Mm -hmm. so here's the first one. This is Joaquin Phoenix, George Clooney, Emma Stone, Jennifer Lawrence, and James McAvoy going into the mountains to drink beer and do mountainy stuff. That is the quote from the submission. Uh, so that's what's on the table for option one. Johnny, list number two. List number two is as follows. Joe Rogan, Tom Segura, Cardi B, Kate Upton, Garth Brooks, 
in the Tuscan <laughs> region of Italy. I just really like because it's not necessarily a list of people that you would assume are like maybe going to Italy and, and to drink fine wines and explore culture necessarily. Mm-hmm. I like that on the end. Um, and then our final third, and I like this one because of the cultural variety and, and, and timeline, because we said dead or alive, it doesn't matter. Um, and this list is Willem Dafoe, David Bowie, David Lynch, Robert Mitchum, and Udo Kerr, who's a, who's a German actor, if you don't know. And they'd all be going to the Epcot theme park, which I okay. think would be a pretty fun group of people. I mean, just just David Bowie at a theme park is a is a good move in my book. Mm-hmm. So do you want to make a case for any of these that you think should be number one? Oh, this is tough. <laughs> this is really tough because my personal preferences I know, yeah. are leaning me to say list number two yeah. would be a fantastic and <laughs> hilarious time. Okay. And I think yeah. if if you like really looked into this, all of these people actually do have some acting credits. So these are all technically yeah. actors. Yeah, yep. The so. problem is we're going to have to agree on the list, and that is obviously my least favorite. Like, I don't want to hang out with almost any of those people. Yeah, for sure. So maybe, maybe Joe Rogan, I guess, or Kate Upton. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Garth Brooks is insane. Uh, yeah, would be real awkward. Um, um, yeah, man, I, I'm so kind of torn too. Yeah, for me, honestly, out of all of them, uh, I think the first list it would be the most would be my pick for the winner out of our our fan submissions. I think it's got the best balance. Yeah, although I don't know, man. Yeah, no, I don't. But David Lynch, I don't think David Lynch would be from list three would be a good hang. But he, if you don't know the director, Dave Lynch, um, you should for one, Mulholland um, Drive, uh, Blue Velvet, others. So like, I don't think his brain is something that I want to explore on a conversational basis. At and a theme park, much less at a theme park. Yeah, like I don't think he's gonna be like, let's go on the roller coasters. I think he'd just be like, you should see all the scum underneath the roller coasters. That's what all the that's a, the dirt of society lives there, and like I don't. That's not a fun time at a theme park. So have you ever done heroin with a carny? Yeah, like that's that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but Joaquin Phoenix, Clooney, Emma Stone, J Law, James McAvoy, a fairly well rounded group of people, I think. Um, I don't know. I might, can I yeah? Can I say that I read this list, and this might just be showing my age. Mm-hmm. I just assumed that was Jude Law. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wrote J Law on the list in case anybody's wondering. Yeah, um, it says J Dash Law, and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, Jude Law. Okay, that's like her. That's like her name. That's like her. Her, uh, you know, like her short term. Like people go, you know, J Law. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence. It's like okay. J. McAvoy. It makes sense. Yeah, but also like, um, you could say like, why didn't Jude Law get that? It's true, but I mean, between Jennifer we- Lawrence and Jude Law, who do you want to hang out with more? Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. She seems, yeah. she seems so funny too. Like that's a, and I also feel like Emma Stone's super funny and that's a nice counterbalance to the unfunny Joaquin Phoenix and George Clooney vibe. Mm-hmm. And then James McAvoy just is somewhere a Scottish in the middle. Thing, just kind of like observing. Yeah. And we're all just sitting around a campfire, maybe drinking whiskey. Or tequila. Cause George Clooney oh. owned a tequila thing for a while. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So you and I in agreement. I think number one list wins. Um, I, I think the. I think the second list takes second place. See, that's easily at the bottom. For me, um, the Willem Dafoe, Bowie Lynch, Mitchum, and Kerr uh, is a close number two. Hmm. But I still think so, shout-outs are deserved for these. Yeah. I mean, are they all winners? Do we just give them all a beer? Let's give, the, let's the, give two the and three, three or four were... loco. <laughs> yes. Like, or, or like a you know like a PBR or something. Nope, four loco. It's what we're known for. Okay, in that brand. case... Um, We'll just say number one, 
Uh, and we'll pick out a beer from our cellar. We'll figure something out, Johnny. But number one goes to Bree Becker. Uh, get a hold of us via email. Actually, this goes for everybody. Get a hold of us. Um, let us know. We might give you an option. Might give you in second and third place, Brandon Duran and Nicole Caulfield will give you a choice of four loco flavor that you get to choose. You can age it for however long you want. You don't have to drink it, but you probably should. You don't get a choice in flavor. I, I, <laughs> no. I dis- disregard that completely. Uh, We're picking the flavors. All right. Well, yeah. in any case. Um, but Brie Becker, get at us. Um, yeah. Let us know what style of beer you want. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Some people don't like certain styles. So let us know what style of beer you want. We'll pick one from our cellar. Okay. And that is a rare first time new segment of the show that we might do again, but we don't have a fun buzzword name for it yet. So we'll just move right along. You good at that? Yeah. That okay. was fun. Okay. Then into beer number one. It's been a while since I've picked out a beer for the show, but I was out of town in Reno and I found this at one of my favorite spots in Reno called Craft. I used to go there a lot more when I was going to Reno. Um, and this Goza came highly recommended called Pinius. And bear with me because it was brewed by Gasthaus and Gosa Brewery Bayerischer Bahnhof out of Leipzig, Germany. Like I said, it's a Goza, clocks in at 4.6%, and it has this to say about itself. It's a historic Goza recipe, first brewed in the early 18th century in the town of Gosler. This one was brewed with coriander and salt per the tradition, and it is filtered over pine needles in the Lautertun. Do you want to ask the question okay. that needs to be asked after that sentence? Um, what's, no, no. I understood it all. You know, what a, you know what a lotter tune is? Yeah, it's a lotter ton. It's um, ton. like one of the last steps of brewing. Yes, it is. It's extracting the wort from the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I had to look it up. Okay. But okay, great. Um, so <laughs> yeah. uh, obviously the interesting thing here to me is the, is the filtering through the pine needles. Um, yeah. I haven't poured mine yet. Have you? Yes, I've poured it and I've consumed it. Okay, give me, give me your first impressions. Uh, it's interesting. It is a bit more mellow than most gozas that I've ever had. I wonder if gozas are more traditionally not tart in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that they're pretty tart, the ones that I've had made here, and I thought that was a characteristic of them stylistically. Uh, so for me, I was expecting this to be much more tart than it is. It's mm-hmm. It's really not tart at all. Have you tried it yet? Yeah, that's weird. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's tart either, but there's like a maybe. I think it's tangy, but the pine needle is is super super present. Yeah, that's wild. Um, yeah, definitely. It is. More it's like, a wild ale. It's a wild ale, I suppose. Um, it's good, man. But yeah, it is. It is sort of a a hard left from what I was expecting of at least an American goza, which is what I've come to expect. This is a traditional German goza. Um, I'm inclined to think that this is more along the the traditional lines. Maybe. I mean, maybe. It's hard to say. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, our traditional goes as, uh, like, more tart? I don't know, man. Because I, I gave you, well, I, I gave you another one that we'll probably do on the show in, in a week or two, but it's another goza, and it's a, it's a key lime goza um, from okay. a brewery that's escaping me at the moment. But Perennial. Like, yeah, perennial. Um, not at all like this. Like, it almost no. feels, because I've had one of them, and I thought it was good enough to do on the show for a later date, but... This is these you could almost convince me they're different styles. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. I mean, there's there's varying levels of tartness to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's it's like stylistically that you're gonna have a lot of different uh levels. You know, I mean some some of them are like way more I've had ones that are like real sour, and some of them that are super subtly sour and just like a really mellow tang. Yeah. So. I mean, do you like this one? You know, 
it's it's a good beer. Uh, it is definitely not what I expected. Okay. Um, I like this beer. I don't know if I like it as a goza. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As we both take another drink. We both definitely <laughs> took a drink just then. <laughs> um, it's good. I like the pine needles. I definitely like this beer. It it finishes almost a little like bitter and hmm. It's interesting. Man, I definitely thought it would be you know, you know, okay, I'm doing some research. Okay. And it makes sense. Most gozas in the United States uh are using kettle sour. Oh, probably, yeah. yeah. So that makes all the sense. So yeah, if this was traditionally uh, you know, mixed culture fermentation mm-hmm. and like, you know, uh so I'm going to just read a little bit from beerandbrewing.com, sure. and it's from an article uh, called The Sour Beer Spectrum. Uh, not to be confused with Goose, the Goza is a traditional German-style unfiltered sour wheat beer that is currently enjoying renewed interest among American craft brewers. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of breweries do them, like Westbrook, Distill, Anderson Valley, very popular. Uh, they go on to talk about the grain bill. Traditionally, it's spontaneously fermented. Uh, however, top fermentation yeast can be pitched for primary fermentation. Low alcohol, light, tart, and lemony wheat-based beer is what is characterized. Um, it is definitely more common to see U.S. brewers using kettle sour method to activate the sour aspects of goza yeah. rather than the longer mixed culture fermentations. Using this method, brewers follow a traditional mash and lauder regimen. Transfer wort to the boil kettle, then pitch lactobacillus into the wort and let it sit. So essentially, like what we're having right now is a traditionally fermented goza versus a kettle soured goza Mm -hmm. to make it like super tart, like right now. Yeah. Huh. It's working for me, man. I'm into it. It's nice. Definitely. It's just, you know, I think, honestly, I don't know if I've ever had a traditional goza like this. I'm now that I'm like reflecting about everyone I've ever had. They were mm-hmm. all like super bright and super yeah. tangy and definitely kettle soured. Yeah, I mean, this definitely uh, this feels a little bit more complex and and it's got it's got layers to it for sure. Like there's these like rustic yeah. sort of um, I don't know yet like like very country um, vibe to it. And I'm sure that's a lot of it's from the pine needles and it kind of takes you into like a foresty kind of mindset. But I mean, it's light and it's bubbly and. But I don't know, but there's some there's a lot of depth to the flavor that I definitely wasn't expecting either, but really enjoy. Definitely. And I think um, you know, something like this is gonna take a lot longer to make. Like uh yeah. kettle souring, it happens really fast. Yes. You, it's essentially putting the wild fermentation thing in the fast lane and controlling it and artificially mm-hmm. through the kettle making it happen. So I mean, for this style, the a light goza, like you probably normally wouldn't want to like age this in barrels for a year no. with other cultures to get this, you know, like because gozas are usually pretty cheap here in the states. Like they're yeah. a cheap light craft beer. I've, I, you know, they're definitely like less expensive than IPAs. I'd say. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is is demand. Um, demand and also um, just the ease with which they are made. Yeah, you know? yeah. I guarantee a beer that was aged for a year in a barrel would not cost the same as like a kettle sour in a sixteen ounce can. Totally. It's also worth noting. I mean, I haven't told you. You had the price tag on yours, so it's not like I'm surprising you. But we're drinking this out of a twelve ounce can, uh, and it was six dollars each. And I mean, you got to factor in the import cost from Germany, but also, yeah, like it's it's a more time intensive um, 
style than certainly a kettle sour is. So it makes sense yeah. to me. It does make sense to me. It's definitely more uh, more attention to detail and definitely more nuanced and layered. You know, and like I liked what you said. It was what you say, earthy. Or, no, you said um, oh, rustic. Rustic. It yeah. does feel rustic. It it's does, right? Almost, almost farmhouse qualities to it that yeah. I've never had in a Goza before, which I, I think is nice. It's definitely more dimensional, more multidimensional than like a, a kettle soured Goza. Hundred percent. So yeah, I, I'm digging this beer. I think it makes me want to seek out more traditionally manufactured Gozas. Yeah, I'm, I guess on on the downside, the, 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 if we can start picking some nits here is like i mean the pine is a lot it's it's definitely kind of the dominant flavor Mm -hmm. for me and and it's a nice flavor but it is very much piney and if you don't like a strong pine flavored in your beer your ipa or anything that is like we're piney this is like the piniest of the pines yeah it's still good it's just i i've poured um let's see i'm about half of it left in the can at this point um so -hmm. the rest of it has been drank from me out of my glass and it's starting to be like, okay, that's almost enough. That's almost enough of that uh, flavor. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I like it, but I don't know if I could drink a bunch of it. Uh, but it is definitely fun to try. Yeah. And it, like I said, it makes me more inclined to pick up something that's traditionally fermented in this style again. So I think that's fun. It kind of opens a door and, uh, you know, opens my brain a little bit to what goes as maybe tasted like, you know, 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. and what they're traditionally supposed to taste like and not just like a key lime pie. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which uh, I love. Yeah. yeah, of course. Good. Different thing, though. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting. It's always interesting when you get back to like the roots of a style, and I think this kind of does that. Can we... And like pine, ne- pine needles are something that they were they would have had readily available as an adjunct. <laughs> yeah. You know, so <laughs> that's probably one of the more like true to hist- history Maybe. things yeah. that would have got put in a beer. Do you think they were just like sitting around like, we need to add some more stuff for this. What do we got? There's a tree outside. Throw that shit in there. See what that's like. Yeah. Well, we're <laughs> using firewood right now. We could throw right. some of these in there. Yeah. I don't know. Because I mean, um, like pine needle tea has been a thing mm, forever. Mm-hmm. So they were obviously familiar with that flavor because that's been a thing since like caveman days. Yeah. 100%. Um, well, I don't know about that, but I, don't, I can't well, say 100%. I believe you. But I didn't know that. It's, prob- it's probably one of like the older teas on the planet. Yeah, you know? maybe. Sure. So I would say that they were familiar with that flavor and they were making this and like, hmm, hmm, all right. You know, it's crazy. Something Jeremy's. that I really dig about this one is that most of the time when I try a Goza, I oh, I think I almost always say, like, this is a great summer beer. And I almost want to say this is for like the time, because we're in early October, like this feels like a fall sort of light beer. Mm-hmm. It's just that autumnal that. sort of, yeah, like rustic piney thing going on. Yeah, I like I that. This would, this would be a good beer to um, like drink while you're out selecting a pumpkin for the season. Yeah. Yeah, it would. I like that. Can we agree on how to pronounce it? Uh, Pineus. I like Pineus as well. It's definitely not like Pine Us. Pine yeah. US. Pineus US. <laughs> yeah, I like Pineus. That's fine. Yeah, Pinius. And the next beer in the series is Ferb. Uh, and then, Johnny, give it to us one more time, or for you the first time. What's the name of the brewery? The brewery is Gasthaus and Gross Brewery by Bay, Bayerisker Banhoff. Nice. <laughs> All right, out of 10. 
Uh, this feels like uh, like a six five for me. Cool. It's a seven for me. A deliciously good rating, I think, for both of us. Yeah, man. It's definitely not a bad beer. It's unique in in that I don't think I've ever had a Goza like it. Nope. So yeah. Okay. Good good pick. Thanks, dude. Let's move right along into what would normally be flick picks. I noticed that you didn't put anything in your notes for this. I didn't put anything in mine. Uh, safe to assume we do not have a flick pick for either of us this week. Is was a question that I will ask you. <laughs> oh yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, sorry. I yeah. Uh-huh. Sometimes I ask questions that just sound like statements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I definitely, yeah, I wrote the NA, so I figured we might even just not mention it. I don't know. We all because people. So what if people are tuning in for flick picks? I'm like, where's my flick That's pick? That's true. No flick pick. Yeah, this you week. know, I've had not much free time to like watch. I've been pretty deep into that series that I'm going to talk about. In my hot and bothered. So yeah. I haven't, I haven't watched a single movie since the last week's movie. So yeah. Well, I think that's fine because. Um, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that we're going to have our hands full discussing the new Christopher Nolan film, Tenet, uh, and discussing what it's like to go back to the movie theaters. So I'm going to drop in a trailer for that. We're going to talk about it without spoiling it best we can because it is a spoiler-heavy movie if we get into the plot. So we'll do our best, but here's a, here's a, here's a trailer for Tenet. We all believe we've run into the burning building. But until we feel that heat... We can never know. You do. You chose to die instead of giving up your colleagues. That test you passed? Not everybody does. Welcome to the afterlife. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. Nuclear holocaust? No. Something worse. All I have for you is a word. Tell it. It'll open the right doors, some of the wrong ones, too. You have to start looking at the world in a new way. And try to understand it. Feel it. Hasn't happened yet. Armed with only one word, tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist played by John David Washington journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. Johnny, what am I talking about? You're talking about the 2020, I guess. Is that the year still? Who knows? Is it still 2020? I was this so. made in 2020? Yes. It was supposed to come out a long time ago, and then it was talked like it might have come out next year. I don't even know. I'll tell you so more. So it, yeah. it came out this year, uh, and it was, like you said, directed by Christopher Nolan, 
who's done such things as Memento, the Dark Knight trilogy, the Prestige, Inception, mm-hmm. Interstellar, Dunkirk. Sure. Yeah. Do you want me to tell him who's in it, or do you yeah, want no, to tell him? Yeah, tell him who's in it. All right. So we've got John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, Clements Posey, Kenneth Branagh, Branagh? Kenneth Branagh, and Himesh Patel, which is who's great. I love I, him. I left out the sir on Kenneth Branagh. That was my bad. He's a he's a knight, right? That's why I didn't say his name right. I was like, who's this <laughs> Kenneth sir. Branagh peasant? <laughs> right. Um, like yeah. you mentioned, yeah, this is supposed to come out um, at various points over the past several months. Uh, and it was pushed back. I think the original release date was like July 21st. And then obviously, uh, if somebody's listening to this in the future and forgets that 2020 was the year of COVID, or at least the first year of it, who knows? Um, that's why. Got pushed back. Um, Nolan was very, very much set on only releasing this in theaters and not going to video on demand. Um, it eventually came out uh, at the end of August in, I believe, 70 countries, not including the United States. It didn't make it to the U.S. until September 3rd. Even then, it was in select cities, and as, as we've been watching over the past couple of weeks, theaters have been opening up slowly, uh, not always, but surely, but definitely slowly. Um, and we'll talk about kind of the experience of going back to see movies in a theater, and I think this is one that for me, at least, I was like, I, I saw that I had the option of watching a movie when I was out of town in Reno, and I saw there were a bunch of movies I could have chosen from, everything from like this to Jurassic Park, and I was like, like I got to see Tenet if, if it's mm-hmm. available and I can do it, because it's sort of this well, like the mythology of it over the past couple months has just been building and building. And it's like, if you're going to go to the theaters right now and you can see this movie, um, do it and hope for the best, which I did. And I don't know that I loved this movie, but I want to give you the floor first to kind of tell me your initial feelings. Yeah. So I had expectations that were moderate to high. It seemed like it was going to be pretty entertaining like an action adventure thing with some some possible weirdness thrown in there um and i gotta tell you this movie was way too all over the place way too intricate and busy and fast paced for like the amount of very important dialogue regarding like you know parallel realities and all kinds of weird stuff that's getting thrown at you super fast that it was hard for me to follow this plot. It was real, real hard for me to follow along with this movie. Um, it was very, very complex and very heady. And I want to maybe watch it again with subtitles. This was the first movie in like six or seven months that I've watched without subtitles. Oh. So it was, it was really it's hard a hell for me of a, to figure hell out. a one to do. Yeah, man. It's like, and it almost needed it because a lot of the times there's talking with like, they have helmets on, and there's just huh. the dialogue's very important, and I feel like I didn't understand enough of it to like follow along as well as I would have liked. So yeah. I don't know if that's like in the sound mixing, like they need to push the vocals like more out front. But um, yeah, man, this plot was about as thick as a whole subscription to the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> it was impressive. Uh, it was a massive undertaking, and it was a really cool movie to look at. There was some neat special effects and stuff, but for me, overall, the plot did not land. It was, quite frankly, just perplexing. It was beyond confusing. It was playing with variables that are so intense and in-depth that it is. it was damn near impossible to follow along with, and like it turned your mind into a pretzel, and if that was the point, they achieved that. But for me, it was definitely not super enjoyable to watch i think so 
I'm honestly pretty cold on this movie right now. Um, Max, what did you think? You saw it in Reno, correct? Yeah, so I saw it in one of those. It was at a, oh, what is it? Uh, like a Regal theater. And it was in mm-hmm. their DFX, which is sort of like the, the mega sound one, which I think was a mistake. Because the first, there, there's like a pretty pretty big set piece that happens in an opera house at the very beginning of the movie. And it's very loud. Um, was it loud for you? Yeah. Because I, like, I was like plugging my ears. It was loud. Yeah, it was so loud. Um, so I will agree with you when the stuff, like the score is the score and the sound effects, it's all really loud. And then you, you have these long sequences where everybody's in helmets or masks or whatever they were like oxygen masks. I don't know. Um, and it makes it really tough to follow the dialogue in a movie where you do kind of get the impression that you need to know what's being said. Even if you're not going to keep up with it, it definitely helps to hear it. Um, so I also went in, like, I, I'm a fan of Christopher Nolan. Like, he, he kind of broke onto the scene with another sort of time warpy movie called Memento. Um, I think back in, like, 2000, but I could be wrong. Um, if you haven't seen that, it's lovely. Plays with sort of the viewer's expectation of what they're seeing versus what actually is happening. Um, Dark Knight trilogy is obviously great. Um, I love The Prestige. Inception's fine. Um, Interstellar is when I started to fall off with Nolan because it got to this point where he started dealing with sort of you know, um, quantum physics and, and gets really heady to the point where you get to now this movie tenant. And it almost feels like he's just trying to show off, but like stuff with the masks and like, it doesn't really land for, or it didn't for me. So it's like, I don't like you're not sticking the landing. If you're showing off, it's not totally working for me. Um, mm-hmm. so like at the same time, I appreciate something that makes you come back for a second viewing that said, at two and a half hours long, like I don't, I, I'm not going to jump back. I'm certainly not going back to the theater to watch this. I'll maybe wait for it to come out on, on DVD or something, but I can appreciate the idea that if I watch it again, it will make more sense. Um, and I'm historically on the show, a big fan of like time bending stuff. So I, I think on paper, I should have really loved this, but I never really got attached to John David Washington's character who is by the way, only given the name, the protagonist, which kind of makes me think I'm not really supposed to care about him that much anyways. Like it's maybe not about him, but even other people. Um, and I've been on a Robert Pattinson high for the past year or so. And, and even his character, uh, I don't know, didn't super do it for me. Um, yeah. and I had hard, I had a hard time getting attached to, to characters in general, but I don't know, man, I think with, cause I've seen this, it was like five days ago now, four days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's helped a little bit digest it. Um, but I remember coming out of the theater and being like, I don't know, a lot of that didn't make sense and it wasn't satisfying. And to some extent, I'm kind of looking for that. Yeah, you kind of are, but also like, I don't know. I want, even in some of those movies that you're mentioning, like you still kind of had some endearment to, you know, some of the characters, but like, mm-hmm. I agree that the character development in this movie was really lacking. Like the stakes I mean, there was massive, like the biggest stakes possible, right? But like the the minute stakes of like, what does this matter to this person? It just felt really convoluted. Like there was no personal stakes. It was all grandiose, save the world stakes. Not, I mean, there was a little bit with this this one character, but even then, I really didn't care about about you know the blonde and her kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I was never really fully like worried you know <laughs> it never it i never mean really yeah this is where it gets tricky to talk about stuff without spoiling too much um so i'm still going to do some dancing around main plot lines but if you do want to go into tenet fully blind skip ahead a couple minutes 
that's your warning. Um, yeah, or we could just like kind of let it rest and just get way deep in the danger zone. I mean, I'm down for that too. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I have any other thoughts then that are not spoilery at all. Um, yeah, I'm probably pretty good. I like, I, I am gonna see it again. It feels like one of those movies that once I see it again or a third time, it's gonna become sort of this like badge of honor to like tell friends like, oh, let me let me explain Tenet to you. And I know that about my personality, but it also just feels like that kind of movie. Like, I just want to make sure to remember a time when I didn't appreciate it quite as much, because I think if you do have to fully understand something to appreciate it, um, that loses a couple of points in my book. Yeah. And also if you have to watch a two and a half hour movie three times to understand it, appreciate it, that's not cool. Did you see that they just released the hateful eight, um, the extended cut on Netflix? Yeah. Speaking of that, they're it's they divided it into episodes. There's four hour long episodes. Wow. I'm not watching that. I'm not either. Not interested. <laughs> Wasn't enjoyable for me. No. Um. I mean, I enjoyed Tenet more than that, but we don't need mm. to rehash that movie. I don't like that. Yeah. Movie. Um, definitely. Okay. So you just want to rate Tenet out of ten? Yeah, I do. I think we were. Yeah, we'll definitely get way deeper into it. I think this is one that the, this movie's going to live in the danger zone quite a bit. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, so yeah, for me this movie felt like a like a four 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 point four. It's pretty low. Okay. Yeah, I'm really pretty cold on it. I think for me it lands right as a six. Okay. Because I like there's something to be said for the fact that I have been thinking about it quite a bit over the past few days, like trying to figure it out and without necessarily wanting to dive headfirst into the Reddit threads. Like I don't want necessarily people to be like this is what happened. This is how this is why it should make sense. Like I kind of want to piece it together myself. But also, I'm acutely aware of the fact that I don't think I'm going to be able to piece it together, certainly after one viewing. Yeah. So, six, room to grow, I suppose. Um, and that's that. If you guys want to see Tenet, or you do see it, let us know what you think. Uh, we're going to jump to a break here from the handlebar right here in Chico, and we'll be back after that with beer number two, so stick around. If you're in the mood for a fantastic craft beer, some wine, or even a mixed drink, nice little cocktail for your evening, you should head down to the Handlebar right here in Chico, California. They've got an awesome happy hour seven days a week, two to six. You're going to get some money off of all three of the things I just mentioned, plus a fantastic menu with a little bit of everything as far as food goes. They also have a fantastically amazing, stupendous patio. It's the best patio. Uh, Dog-friendly, kid-friendly. Bring the whole family. Get some food. Get some drinks. Max, tell them where it's at. 2070 East 20th Street, like Johnny said, right here in Chico on the south end of town. Check out the handlebar. They got great deals, great food. They're great people in general. Go on down, check them out. You'll thank us. And we are back. Time for beer number two. Johnny, back to our tradition lately. Actually, it feels like for months and months now, but uh, you've picked out the beer. Yeah, man, I did. Tell I me about it. I picked out this one, too. Uh, I mainly got this one because the can looked cool, and I we don't think we've ever done this brewery. So this beer is called Hop Noise from local brewing company out of San Francisco, California. So for us, it actually is local. If you're kind of, than, you know, if you're out of California, not so local. Uh, New England IPA is the style. It's seven point two percent, and this has been double dry hopped with Sabro, Enigma, and Sultana hops. The description. A brand new hazy IPA to add to our lineup of Haze Bro beers. And this one was brewed up or brewed to stand apart with extra pale malts, flake barley, and Enigma and Sabro hops and Sultana hop oil. This hop blend is super unique, yielding notes of pikake, dank nugs, tangerine, peach, fir needles, lychee, and jasmine. And if you're wondering, like me, what 
the actual fuck Pekake is, Young Maxwell's going to tell you. Yeah, so we looked it up. I didn't know either. But basically, it is the Hawaiian version um, of Jasmine. It's, it's, it's an Arabian Jasmine. It was named after the peacock by one of the princesses back in the day when the flower showed up on the islands. So that's Jasmine, cool. basically. And it feels like they were just kind of throwing in Jasmine twice because they also mentioned Jasmine in that description. But I guess we're yeah. looking for lots of Jasmine in this beer, as well as things from the three hops you mentioned, including uh, the Sultana hop, which I believe they just used Sultana hop oil in it. Um, I can read you some stuff about those hops if you'd like. Yeah, hit me with some facts on those three hops. Uh, so this first one on the Sultana is coming from hopsteiner.com. They say Sultana is a big, it's a monster of a plant with gigantic cones. She has a high total oil content to boot. Uh, pineapple, pine, bright citrus notes. You're looking for that kind of stuff. In the Enigma hops, we're going for, uh, you know, things like Pinot Gris, raspberries, red currant, light tropical fruits. And then the Sabro, as we all know, uh, is an intense hop, usually complex flavors of fruits and citruses like tangerine. You got some coconut tropical fruit in there, stone fruit flavors, maybe some hints of cedar, and even in the right blend, mint and cream. Who knew? I, that's a lot of different flavors to combine into one nope. beer, especially if you're double dry hopping. I am actually a little bit scared for this one, dude. Cause again, we haven't you, done this brewery, but you know, yeah. Did you mention the Sultana hop? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. That's that right. That was did. the first one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's again, I don't okay. know. I would love to see their recipe for this or at least kind of the proportions. Um, cause I, do recall seeing, I think on their website, possibly that they just used the Sultana hop oils rather than the hops themselves. So yeah. we'll see how that comes out. Definitely. Have you tried it yet? Not yet. I've just poured it and it looks, it's actually a lot hazier than I was expecting. It's a very, very thick, hazy beer. A lot of, a lot of head hanging out too. Uh, what about you? You yeah. poured it, tried it? Yeah, both. I poured it and I've tried it. It is, it's, it's big, man. There's oh, a lot yeah. of flavors yeah. happening yeah, yeah. here. Oh man, I'm, I'm one sip in, so not swearing by this yet, but I have this thing sometimes where when, when there are these like really complex hop flavors, they all kind of blend in my palate and just kind of taste soapy. Okay. Yeah. So I'm getting a little bit of that. What, what's your initial reaction? Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing and also just a little bit muddled. Yeah. Like it's just this overwhelming wave of just bitter and dry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. going to take another drink. Yeah, there's a lot going on. I don't know if I necessarily like it. It's um, hmm. it's really big on like the mouth feel and just the overall flavors. Um, yeah. There's just a lot of... It's a, it's a kind of punch in the mouth for sure. But I don't know if it's in a good way because it's got this, this underlying backbone of it not being super sweet or, or not being... It being kind of sweet. I should yeah, say, yeah. There's a like a underlying sweetness that like kind of marries with this just wave of of bitter and punchy hoppiness. Excuse me, and um, I don't get a lot of like citrusy sweet notes either. It's just like a weird flat sugariness mm -hmm. with a ton of hops. Yes, yeah. I think. And, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'm just. I'm not sure if this is working out for me personally what, what are you thinking man well the, i mean outside of the flavor stuff that you're saying which i definitely agree with there's this weird disconnect between like the body and the mouthfeel it's super carbonated and which like kind of gives me this weird effervescence and sparkliness but then there's this sort of like soggy 
heaviness to the rest of it. And those yeah. two things together are just really throwing me in addition to sort of the weird muddled flavors. Like you could make the case that there's some very intense tropical flavors here, like maybe papaya and mango and maybe an overripe mango, but mango is probably there. But yeah, like there's no bright citrus on the flavor for sure. And I don't think that the the balance of the bitterness and the sweetness for the style works particularly well either. No, and it's almost astringently bitter. It, it walks that line way too close for me. And especially in a New England style IPA, I want it to be uh, like a softer bitterness mixed with some of those more sweet, like, you know, the New England IPA. Like if you're going to do a beer style that's like traditionally pretty sweet and you want to add hops to it, it should balance out a little bit. And I feel like they they like over bittered this beer. Yeah, it's it tastes like um, I I think I said it uh, like last week or the week before, but it really reminds me of like licking an envelope. Yeah, well, I think that was longer than that, but I remember you saying that. I was like, that's a really that's a very specific sensation slash taste. Yeah, and it kind of leaves that just like like not great mouth feel or like not taste on your tongue. It's just kind of like bleh. yeah, bleh. yeah. It's a shame. I noticed when I was looking up information on this beer that it hasn't been at least I was going to say drank by many people, but that might not be true. It hasn't been logged and untapped, which is usually a pretty good indicator of who's had it. I think there were maybe two entries for this beer, okay. which means it's either because you got this, you got this out of town. Is that right? No, I got this at SNS oh. here in town. Okay. So I guess it just means that it's maybe new ish and not a lot of people it, have tried it. Probably. Maybe. Yeah. Um, would have been nice to, or maybe we still can. I know we say that a lot. Like we'll reach out of the brewery and we almost never do, but um, it'd be nice I to know. actually emailed these guys last Friday. Oh, I mean, after the fact, like we have a specific question about like, is, is your beer gross or did we get a bad batch or like, whatever, like did this get exposed to heat? Like that happened to us the other week. <laughs> That's such a, like a backhanded question to ask though. I know. That's probably why we never well, do it. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, and especially like that particularly, like, was this exposed to heat? Like so much of that, they have no control yeah, or input yeah, yeah. over after it leaves the brewery. So it's basically saying, is your beer gross or is it just us? Well, and, and so. the thing is, like, I, I'd be less inclined to do it with this brewery because we've never done their stuff. But the other week it was Upland, which we've had their yeah. beers before and they're really good. So it, in my brain, it would just be like, hey, something happened between when it left your brewery and when we got it, like heads up kind of thing. And here it might just be like, your beer might be bad. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know, man. Yeah. This definitely misses the mark. It's not horribly offensive to me or anything, but um, I'm definitely not buying it again. I won't probably finish this one. So you know, yeah, it's fine. I'm not, I'm not big on this beer at all. Uh, for me, it's, it's very disappointing. Like I said, it's just too sharp and undesirable bitter. Like it's, it go, goes almost beyond a hoppy bitterness into just like tasting gross. And Can, that's, that's yeah. a real bummer. Like it takes a lot of hops to do that. Is and there, like, is there a beer drinker that would enjoy this? I don't know. I mean, if you like, like the highest IBU possible. Maybe, but even then, like I love West Coast IPAs, totally. and this this almost has off flavors. It's just like a sharp and bristly bitterness that's not pleasant on the palate, and there's not enough desirable sweetness in any way that mixes with that bitterness to make this drinkable. So, no, I would say I would big thumbs down for me. This beer's like a like a, a two point eight. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it a, I'll give it a, I'll give it a three. Why not? About a two point eight for you. That's fair. Uh, what did it cost? Uh, I think it was like six bucks. It's too much. Something like that. Yeah, it's a little too much. 
Uh, all right. Well, that's Hop Noise from Local Brewing out of San Francisco. If you try it or if you've had it or if you are Local Brewing, let us know. If we missed the mark, something, <laughs> let us know if your beer's been exposed to heat. Who knows? Um, <laughs> yep. Moving right along? Yeah, moving right along. All right, dude. What's got you hot and bothered this week? Well, I mean, we kind of touched on it briefly. Uh, actually, we touched on both my things briefly. I don't really have much bothered this week. There's, like we say every week, uh, everything is a bother. So we're just going to focus on the positive. There's too much bothered going around. Uh, so my biggest hot that has got me excited is just the act of going to the movies. Um, this probably means more to you and me than to the average person, like for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because before COVID shut the United States down, I mean, we were at the movies once or sometimes twice a week. Uh, and it was... Uh, something that I know we both really love doing. That's kind of the point of why we we started this. It was just getting our passions and turning them into something that we could, you know, embrace monetize <laughs> and monetize. Obviously, we're in it yeah. for the Skrilla, baby. Sure, I'm here for your shekels. Uh, but no, man, like going to the movies for me has always been very cathartic. It's always been like a safe place for me. Uh, ever since I was a child, uh, it was a treat to go to the movies. I've been going to the movies with my dad since I was like four or five, and um, it was a really amazing and cathartic feeling just walking back into the theater and smelling the popcorn. Like it was the most regular and like you know normal and comforted that I've felt in a really long time, and it, it definitely hit me in like a a nostalgic and also like just really happy like emotion. Like it, I got the warm and fuzzies walking mm. into the theater, and then like sitting down and taking my first bite of popcorn, it was like hard not to get like a little emotional. Like this is something that I've really missed. I mean, it's such a huge part of my life and it's, it's one thing I could count on for a long time. Like I'm having a bad day, having a bad week. I get me time. I get to just zone out. I get to be somewhere else. I get to immerse myself in these stories. And, and I've really missed that. So for me personally, it was, Something that meant a lot to me to get back into the theater, and I really enjoyed it. So 100%, that's got me super hot this week. What was your screening experience like? Uh, there was 10 people in the movie theater. Nice. And I was in the XD theater, so it was, oh, it was cool. giant theater, 10 people. It was really cool. And the popcorn was super cheap. Mm-hmm. Like They slashed the prices on all the, the concessions, which is wild. Mm-hmm. Like I got a large popcorn and a soda for $6. Nice. It's unheard of. Still like a... Five times profit margin, probably more. Yeah, the, they're but, still, you know, <laughs> what they're a still deal. Fine, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's mine. And then uh, the other thing I wanted to do was fully endorse and give an A-plus rating to Raised by Wolves on HBO. It is the best science fiction series that I've seen ooh, in a really long time, probably, I don't know. I think Stranger Things was also oh. one of my like favorite like recent uh, yeah. science fiction series but raised by wolves is a major homage to science fiction of like the you know like 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s like that whole like that 50 years that little 50 years span <laughs> that little 50 but like the roots of of uh you know science fiction not sure. like not like star trek or star wars but like the stuff that inspired that like yeah you know going back to like war of the worlds type stuff and uh I just really love it. The writing is is tremendous, and every episode gets a little bit better than the last. And I think if you're a science fiction fan, it's absolutely must watch television. I've 
enjoyed every single minute of it, and I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, HBO. HBO. Right. Great. Yeah, If you you talked about that last week, so if you guys didn't hear our episode last week, Johnny gives some details about what it's about. Uh, and if you haven't heard that episode, shame on you, because you really should. And that's what's got me bothered, is people that didn't listen last week, and honestly, that was just my attempt at a transition, but if you're quite finished, sir, I'll tell you about my week. No, I want to hear about your week. Please tell me Great. about it. Um, so as you may know from listening to last week's episode, we had our four-year podcast anniversary, which was lovely. And for my bookkeeping brain, it lined up really nicely because it also happened to be my one-year marriage anniversary. Um, yes. It's maybe telling that you and I went out to celebrate with drinks that night while my wife stayed home. She had stuff going on. And I would feel bad except for the fact that we left town for a couple nights. We went to Reno, uh, like I've mentioned a couple times on this show. Just to, you know, like, I think our initial plan before COVID was, like, probably to go to Spain or something, or like, out of the country and go for a week or two. And then, uh, you know, life spiraled the way that it often does, uh, seemingly more so this year. But we just decided to get out of town for a couple of days. And Reno was close enough but far enough where it felt like a getaway. And we just went to the Pepper Mill, which is sort of my Reno home away from home usually. Because um, it was familiar, but also we hadn't been in so long that it still kind of felt like a vacation. So we just, you know, we bought fun bottles of wine and got some cool beers for the show, obviously. Um, and just got a chance to spend some time together without responsibilities, which I think is kind of the, the idea. I've never done it before again, first time, but you know, I think we did it right. The first time you've ever been somewhere without responsibility. First time I've celebrated a wedding anniversary. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. good, man. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to do the best you can with what you're given. And it sounds like you guys made the most. And, uh, as long as you enjoyed each other and were happy, that's yeah. all that matters. And then one last thing is that um, about a week ago at this point, or maybe by the time this episode airs, a couple weeks, um, our friend of the show, Jared, and I made sort of a, a deal, a brokerage, if you will, where I told him that I'd give him some of my homemade cold brew coffee if he gave me some of his homemade uh, pasta sauce, tomato sauce, pepper sauce. I'm not even I sure like of the ingredients. I don't know what's in him. I think he keeps that close to his chest. But Tons of pork. <laughs> yeah, it's just there's not even any meat, but somehow he squeezed in the pork. Um, yep. No, so I tried it. Um, I've had it a couple times now, uh, and it's fantastic, Jared, so you know. Um, I I've, should have sent you a picture by now. I'm sure I have. But it's this lovely, like, tangy slash sweet, smoky chipotle kind of sauce thing that he's got going. It's super nice. rich. It's delicious. Uh, and Jared, just want to say thanks. Super appreciate you. And it was great. So thank you. Hell yeah. And that's, that's where I'm awesome. at. That's where I'm at this week. Perfect. I like it. Sounds like we've had a good week. I think so, too. You got anything else before we uh, hit the danger zone? No, let's do it, man. I want to dig deep and dive into Tenet. Great. Yeah, final warning. If you haven't seen it, we are going to spoil it right after this. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. All right. Spoiler-ridden time for Tenet. I don't know how the F we're going to start this, but we're just going to start talking. Um, my goal for this conversation now is to sort of walk each other through our understanding and see if we come up with something similar. And maybe you can help me fill in some uh, plot holes that I'm confused on. And maybe I can do the same for you. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Okay. This, um, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. This movie was too much for me in like every way. And you had mentioned like, Hey, just so you know, you shouldn't drink before this. Yeah. You should have said, bro, take a fistful of Adderall so you can pay attention. Oh, like, you had trouble paying attention or trouble following. Following, yeah. like I needed like amphetamines to keep up. Like okay. Jesus Christ, dude, it's a lot. Like they're it's so it's like they were reading a novel about like time travel and interdimensionality and like yeah. All right. 
so wait, get into yeah, it. on on that note, I guess we should lay some groundwork just in case people are listening to hear us butcher this but haven't seen the movie. Basically, uh, if you have if you know nothing about this film, there it plays with time travel. There's a theory. There's not a theory. There's a practice of inverting time where you are able to sort of exist in a parallel reality where you you move forward and the person next to you moves backwards, but from their perspective, they're moving forward. This gets used to accomplish goals, both by heroes and by nefarious antagonists. And it's sort of a game of chess if the chessboard is time and space. And yeah. the, the kind of shtick of the movie um, from the audience perspective is being able to catch on to these things while they're happening, ideally, so you can sort of see where it's going. I was nowhere near that when I saw it. Um, and then similarly, the trick from our protagonist's perspective is to be able to thwart the bad guy who wants to end the world, firstly, by understanding how he's going to end the world, which is already a, a crazy goal. And then two, to actually put that into action and see if you can sort of outsmart him. And yeah. it, it gets it just gets very complicated. I will take us to the point very briefly to where I started having trouble. Yeah. When did you start having trouble? Aside from immediately, which is true, because we're kind of thrown into this opera scene and we're following um, sort of these like SWAT looking dudes. Um, and then everybody in the opera goes dead. And then there's like a big shootout. People escape. There's a bullet that gets sucked out of the cement, whatever. That's all fine, I guess, because I caught up. Basically, we have John David Washington's character um, who maybe I can't even do this. Maybe I, I'm sure I'm going to miss stuff. Um, I think the key people that we need to bring up are Elizabeth Debicki. And Sir Kenneth Branagh, who is the bad guy. I think if you've seen the trailer, that's pretty clear. Um, basically, she is his hostage wife, kind of. She got some fake art, and now he's using it to blackmail her to keep her away from her son kind of thing. And he's also pretty intent on ending the world somehow. Mm -hmm. And it was clear to me that we were trying to the, – there's a whole airplane thing in Oslo, Norway – where they're going to break into this vault where the art is, take it, destroy the evidence. It's the fake art. Destroy it so she's off the hook with Kenneth Branagh. She can see her son. And that's where I was like, okay, I understand. This is very Bondy, James Bondy, to be clear. Um, and I get that. I get sort of the spy aspect. And like there's some cool like um, infiltrating high-class buildings and getting at mob lords like and arms dealers. Like that kind of stuff all made sense for the most part. Mm-hmm there are some scenes where like we have to get some explanation on like you can't pick up the bullet unless you've already dropped it. So then now stick your hand over the bullet and go shoom right into your hand. And he, at one point, John David Washington pulls a real Keanu Reeves and just goes, Whoa, which I actually enjoyed. <laughs> um, <laughs> not sure if that was a direct homage. I can't imagine it wasn't. Um, all that kind of works. And then it just kind of spirals for me. And I understand it a little bit more now than I did when I watched it, but it's still pretty, um, Pretty, pretty blurry for me. Where, where are you at with sort of your comprehension of what happened? I mean, I, I, I got pretty much I like the wise of like the first because they go on several missions and they're all like leapfrogging to get from like one mission to the other. But it's all the point is to figure out where like it starts with these bullets that have been reversed in time. Inverted. And you know, and the, yeah, reverted, inverted, inverted. converted yeah. Judaism. I don't know. Um, they're, they were, they were atheists. Now they're Christian. Sure. Converted, inverted. It's, is it inverted? It is inverted. Yeah, on it's inverted. It's okay. Inverted. Yeah. So they've inverted their flux capacitor dynamic reflexology, making them travel backwards in time 
on the same timeline, but just in reverse. And that was the weird thing that like things are happening on the same timeline, but one's moving backwards and one's moving forwards, but they're in the same timeline. Right. It, it, it was right. it's very, very wild. And so like essentially like the dude wakes up and he's now uh, gone from being a regular spy to like a time travel spy. You're thinking like, it's still John David Washington, yeah? Yes. Okay. And like I get I was with it there and then he starts doing these missions to like get one step closer, one step closer. He's in India or not India. He was going after an uh, Indian arms dealer. Vietnam, in, maybe Russia, Kiev no, could have been the spot. I think it was Havana. No, it wasn't Havana. It was somewhere not maybe the Philippines. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, and then you, you, you're hop skipping and jumping and figure out you have to get closer to this. You have to get this plutonium to get closer to this Russian arms dealer who we think is selling these bullets. And then it just escalates a lot of spy stuff like that to get to the main plot. So there's a bunch of spy, there's a spy buildup to get to the main spy time travel arms dealer story. And once you're there, it just gets confusing because they figure out that you can invert people yeah, they and keep that's, using the word algorithm, the, which really threw me. Like, I guess I yeah. don't know what algorithm means because here it's like a piece of technology, but that's separate, I guess. Yeah, um, I guess. Did you see Memento? Yeah. For me, there was a moment when watching Memento, and it was basically the end of the movie because the movie's spoilers from Memento is told in reverse. You're kind, you're kind of playing catch up with with um, Guy Pierce's character. Yeah, I think. The trick of this movie is that if you started it right in the middle where where Branna shoots Elizabeth Debicki's character through the glass and mm-hmm. watch it from that point or even watch it backwards from there, it would make a lot more sense. But what happens is basically like we have this this like slingshot or slinky kind of effect where like the movie, if we think of that as the midpoint where she gets shot and then everything before that was just leading up to that moment and then everything after it is literally the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. It makes a little bit more sense because we start at the opera and we basically almost end at the opera and mm-hmm. like we go to the airport and then almost at the end of the movie, we go back to the airport. So they sneak in by the explosion they created in the first place. This is all about like, um, like temporal causality, right? Like it's, it's the idea. And they even bring this up in the movie. Like, um, I think they do like the fact that we're standing here right now. Doesn't that mean that we either succeeded or failed at something in the past or the future, or like whatever, and that's a that's a bit of a uh, problematic sort of um, what's the word I'm looking for? But, uh, not paradigm. Um, paradox. Paradox. Yeah, they bring up the grandfather paradox. Exactly right, and and I don't think it totally solves that, and I don't know that it can, because um, again, this is just a movie, and we're not actually performing these uh, feats of quantum physics. But if you, for me, like once I kind of wrapped my brain around what was happening, like three quarters of the way through the movie, or a little bit sooner, um, I had the same sort of revelation I had with Memento later in the movie where I was just like, okay, like I think if I watched it again, I could follow, I could definitely follow it more plot wise. I don't know conceptually, but I I know from start to finish, I would understand what's happening more. Um, and so that's interesting to me. Like I, I, it makes me want to go back and I'm, it's just hard to, hard to wrap my head around everything at once. Cause there's so many little side meetings and plots and like it all plays into the bigger, bigger scheme, but it's, it's a lot. Yeah, man, and a lot of the storylines uh, like double back on themselves. Yes, because that's yeah, was, yeah, 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 yeah. Like at one point, like Elizabeth Debicki was saying how like they had this one night that they like felt great or whatever, and then she got back to the boat and there was a chick jumping off the boat. Sure, and she's like, I just envied her freedom. And at the end of the movie, it just was her, just on a different timeline. Yeah, 
Totally. Which is like, what? It's like, um, do you remember in, <laughs> stupid, it's actually maybe exactly right. Harry Potter and I believe it was the Prisoner of Azkaban. Are you fairly familiar with this? Fairly. Movie? There's yeah. a scene where the Ministry of Magic orders Hagrid to execute um, his winged creature, his griffin. Yeah. Because it bit Malfoy. And mm -hmm. as the three kids are hanging out with Hagrid, somebody throws a rock through Harry or through, through Hagrid's window and hits Harry in the head, causing Harry to look out and see that the bad guys are coming. Then mm -hmm. later on in the other timeline, we see those three kids watching from behind a rock in through the window. And they're like, Oh, Harry, why aren't you turning? Like you're supposed to turn. And then Hermione's like, ah, I have to throw the rock. She throws the rock. It's like, Oh, we, we caused this the first time. So when she mm -hmm. was like, yeah, Oh, it's me jumping from the boat. I have to wait for me in the boat the little boat to see me jump off the big boat to even set the event in motion in the first place, to give me the idea that I want the freedom. That, that makes sense to me. It's also very titillating. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, that was wild. And then there was like the scene where they realized that, uh, Robert Pattinson, um, was like fighting with himself. I think he was fighting John David Washington. Cause of like, you can't, you can't, you can't see yourself. I think that breaks some rules. You can't touch yourself. Hmm. I think even yeah, in seeing the movie, it causes insanity. Oh, really? I think so. I thought he did. He saw himself and then threw the mask by himself. I figure there's a scene in the in the um, in the art. Is it the art gallery? Is that when it's happening? I can't remember. Uh, it's not the art gallery. The art, like the store, the Freeport. Yes, right in Oslo. Um, yeah, like they're fighting each other because otherwise, if they're fighting themselves, why is future uh, version not like recognizing? His, I know, I know, he's in a mask, but like the person in the mask would recognize the other one. So the only way I can figure is that they're fighting each other, and the that version of themselves in the timeline just doesn't uh, recognize them because they don't know them yet. Yeah, that's I don't know. You're getting your email. Well, right? I think that the person going forwards without the mask on was fighting their version of themselves, but going backwards, they made it really clear. Yeah, that uh, Washington was fighting himself. I really don't think that's true. The hundred percent. Okay, you could clearly see that he was fighting another black man with his with the mask on. Like when when you at the end when you realize that they went back to there and ended up fighting the them in the past or <laughs> you know what I'm so, saying. This is so. It fucked. was. It, they uh, made okay. it. They made it super obvious that he was fighting himself. I have to watch it again. Which means the yeah. first time that happened in the movie, they were fighting. He was fighting himself. I guess. I mean, if you're right, then yes, that is true. I just can't remember mm -hmm. having that realization. Did you get an email from me, by the way? We've never done this on air, but I think it's helpful. If, uh, if you can check right now, I think um, this has been helpful to me. At least I sent you a graphic of somebody on Reddit's sort of breakdown of the timeline, and they have it divided okay. into a top section and a bottom, and the top goes left to right, and the bottom moves uh, right to left, if you want to read it that way. Um, okay. And I was just looking at this while we're having this discussion because it's helping me keep track of what I'm even trying to say. <laughs> oh my God, Jesus, it's, this it, is complicated. Yeah, we should post this. We'll post this. Uh, um, we'll post it somewhere. I'll post a link to it in our episode notes in case anybody wants to look because it is pretty helpful and it's it's very nice to have that visualization of of sort of the timeline um, converging in in the middle in the I don't know timeline in the middle the middle of the time. Yeah, and if Oof. you look at at the uh, Oslo airport. In the top on the red part, it yes. says JDW fights ah, JDW. Yes, it does. Very helpful. Good. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. That's great. Um, I've learned basically, you know how at the end of the movie, Neil, Robert Pattinson's character, says to John David Washington, hey, for me, 
this is the end of a really long friendship. And for you, it's the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Neil, Robert Pattinson's character, is the older version of Kat's son, Max. What? Yes. Now, I didn't put that together myself. Therefore, I don't think I can defend it. But I'm convinced by people smarter than me that that is what's happening. Um, okay. Which is great. Also, a little, he's not um, American, that kid. And if you can guess that his name is Maximilian, which would be spelled uh, L-I-E-N at the end, you could also speculate that he inverted his own name to be called Neil. Which hmm. is, that's nice, I think. There's a lot of inversion uh, throughout the movie. Um, like the movie takes place at the opera, but one of the art dealers is named Arepo, which is opera mm -hmm. inverted. That kind of shit is all over the place. Yeah. Which is nice. Like that's, Absolutely. that's kind of rewatchability stuff that I'm here for. Yeah. How upset were you that they made this big deal about the word tenant and the hand symbol <laughs> and like it would get you places and he does it like once. Like that seemed like in, in like. Not important at all. Well, yeah. I mean, at first it kind of comes across like that's going to be like a magic spell that you get to use. Um, yeah. But then for me at the end, it was like, no, like that's just the key to understanding this reality. Like bringing the hands together is just a way of symbolizing timelines converging. And 10, it's just a palindrome. So when you think of it that way, like it's not a spell, it's just a, it's a, it's a way of thinking. So I wasn't yeah, mad about I, that. I thought he would use the code word way more. Totally. Yeah. Because because the trailer makes it sound like I'm going to give you a word tenant it's yeah like, yeah okay you're not really giving me the word like okay i get it <laughs> exactly yeah it was i was bummed out i like a good code word sure yeah, yeah what did you think of the spy stuff like what did you think of when they meet um i think her name's priya right the the arms dealer gal and her husband yeah that uh -huh. sequence was kind of cool like jumping yeah. like that sort of spy stuff was neat i think the spy stuff was the strongest uh in like the strongest parts of this movie and i think the ending was probably kind of the weakest for me when they were, mm. you know, the big soldier, this team's going forward, this team's going backwards. At that point, my mind was just mush. I know. And I was like, sure, I guess. Okay. If, if the, okay. I also didn't sure. fully grasp like, so there's going to be an explosion, but we're trying to prevent the explosion. And then we realize, oh no, we have to let the explosion happen so that nobody can discover what was taken, which I guess kind of makes sense. And then Neil's like, I got to go back in. And I think Neil's the dude uh, that ended up being the soldier that died that they took the thing from and is all like, he's clearly the one that had the little keychain from his backpack that saves John David Washington in the beginning of the movie or the end, mm -hmm. depending on how you want to think of it. Um, I don't know, man. Part of me is very much in your camp. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's just a lot. But then the other part of my brain's like, even from when we started this conversation, I'm like, I kind of want to watch it again right now. Like, I just want to figure it out. Like it's a fun puzzle in a sense. Yeah. I mean, eventually I might want to, but personally, like, there's so much content coming out. Like it's hard to keep up as it is. Like I don't necessarily need a homework project from a movie, like mm -hmm. especially a movie this long and this dense. Yeah, like, yeah. I, don't know. I don't know. Like if you want to write something and make something this complex, maybe you should just like write a book. Mm. Mm. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if, if this movie was like needed, needed to be made. made. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear honestly. you, I, but I'm, I'm, I disagree. But I could, but that's just the difference in, in what people want out of a movie. You and I want different things out of this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, some people like thinkers, you know, and this movie is a thinker. But like on, yeah. a, on a massive and far more complex than like science even understands. Like you're, you're dealing in the science fiction of time travel and stuff and mm -hmm. you're making up rules as you go. And then like, you know, they're offering up explanations for them and you're like, okay, 
offering up explanations for you know theoretical physics that don't even exist yet. So I'm just gonna go with this. I mean, this was kind of my problem with Interstellar. Like it was, it was the idea of, of spectacle sort of eclipsing story, um, which sucks in a movie like Interstellar because at the end it is sort of all about like the strongest force is love, which is fine. Love is a very strong force, but if you're going to be throwing quantum physics at me and time travel and like the shifting of atomic matter, like I'm going to need, I'm going to need a little more to go off of than love is the strongest force in the universe. And it just got so heady. And I think that in that movie and possibly in this one, it undercut sort of what, what the film could have been. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and agree with that. It was just too complicated, man. It was simply too complicated and like I said, I think I needed to watch it with subtitles and the the ability to yes. pause because there was so many yeah, times yeah. where they have these these dialogues and like what they're saying is vital to the universe that they're trying to create. That if you don't catch every word to put all these pieces together, you are completely in the dust. I mean, there, so, there's a lot of mask wearing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I a mean, I, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence. That like, again, Nolan directed the Batman with Bane, the Tom Hardy Bane. Who like right. I couldn't understand anything that Bane said. The whole mask, and ever since, like I just feel like he was like, let's put everybody in masks whenever possible, just in case our science is wrong. No one's gonna understand mm-hmm. it anyways, so we'll just fall back on the special effects, which I actually think were really cool, which we didn't even mention today. But this is a very visually stunning movie. Yeah, there were some cool scenes and some cool shots and some some fun stunts, definitely. Yeah. That's cool but. stuff. Like people moving in opposite directions through time. That's a very cool concept to, and that's one reason that I don't think a book would do it justice is like to see that is fantastic. Yeah. But like when you saw people doing like on the opposite, like did it, it didn't, it looked like they were moving backwards, but it wasn't as dramatic as I thought it was going to be. No, I, yeah, I agree. It definitely works better for like the close, close fight scenes or like when the waves are crashing against the boat in, in yeah. reverse, that stuff's really cool, which is awesome. Cause it's, as practical effects go, or special effects rather, it's pretty cheap. You just, you know, flip it, That's film cool. it, and reverse it. Yeah, it's harder yeah, when you, you got go f- people together. Full yeah. Missy, full Missy Elliot. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> flip it and reverse it. Um. All right. Well, we could probably go on about this for a while, but I, I feel pretty satisfied with at least given sort of my first thoughts. You good? Yeah, man. My brain hurts, but I'm good. Okay. Well, again, that's Tenant. It's also beers from local brewing and a German brewery that I don't think we need to make anybody suffer through again by trying to pronounce. But if you've drank those things or if you've seen this thing, let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts. As always, this show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi. If you have a chance, please consider supporting us on Patreon or giving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. We like doing this show uh, and we like the idea that other people might enjoy it. So help us get this show in front of the other people's ears. That would be really, really awesome. And until next week, that's Johnny Summers. And that's Max Minardi. We'll see you next time. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.